I, I think most players hate analytics. I, I think analytics is um, something that really does touch an NFL organization, or it should, at every level. On this episode of Against the Grain, we're talking analytics. I'll be joined by a senior analyst at Pro Football Focus and a fantasy expert who uses cutting-edge tech to gain an advantage. The analytic revolution is here. Let's go. We are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Now your host for Against the Grain. Against the grain. Here's Andrew Perloff. One of my favorite things here at the Dan Patrick Show is to talk analytics. Doesn't matter the sport, the topic. Gets Dan and the Danettes really mad. And let's face it, the analytics revolution is here in the NFL. That's not a hot take by any means. You look around the league, every team has an analytics guy. Some of them have several analytics guys, a whole analytics department. Now, what I like about analytics is it confirms everything I've been saying in Against the Grain for years. For example, do not run on first down all the time. There's nothing more frustrating as a fan when your running back just goes right into the pile for a one-yard gain. You got second and nine. Analytics shows that is a waste of a down. Basically, the key analytics in football is pass, 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 pass. First down, you can do play action, but keep passing the ball. A couple other things the analytics say. Running backs, not valuable. I've been saying that for years. Uh, analytics also say traditional measurements, not good. Like the 40-yard dash, that doesn't tell us much. With technology... Next-gen stats, you can tell exactly how fast a guy moves on a football field, and that's informing teams. If you really wanted to, you could use analytics on everything. There is a quantitative measurement for everything in this world. That includes football. Now, baseball is easy. NBA is easy. Football, people are still resistant. You get that old, crusty football coach who says, I don't want to hear analytics. I just want to run the ball and you know be physical. No. Not in 2019, not in the NFL. I was down at Eagles camp, and they are so ahead of the game on analytics. You saw it in the Super Bowl. They throw the ball, throw the ball, and throw the ball some more. They have a great analytics department. You look at Cleveland, you know, the hot team. So they were way ahead of the curve. They hired John D. Podesta from the Dodgers and baseball, sabermetrics. You know, I don't know if that exactly worked. They did lose a lot of games. Point is, analytics is here in the NFL. So I wanted to talk to some guys who use analytics to inform everything they do. Pro Football Focus, I think, is the premier analytics site for studying the NFL right now. Chris Collinsworth, of course, is the head of it. But one of their senior guys, Steve Palazzolo, is so smart on football. I wanted to talk to him about which teams and which players are underrated and analytics guys see as more valuable than everyone else. And I also wanted to talk to a guy who uses next-gen stats as well as anyone. James Coe, who works for DirecTV's Fantasy Zone, really smart guy. Basically, if you talk to these guys, you come out of it and you feel like, you know what, I know something that other football fans don't. Now, if you talk to me, that might not be the impression you get, but trust me, these guys will help. So let's dive in and see what analytic trends are here for the NFL in 2019. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend Steve Palazzolo here from Pro Football Focus, senior analyst. And Steve, I've been listening to you and Sam Monson on the PFF NFL podcast a lot lately. Now, it's funny. You guys had a debate a couple months ago. How much real life do you try to put into your podcast and how much straight football do you guys do? Because you had a, you had a talk about the coffee maker that I was totally into. <laughs> Yeah, well, especially during the off season, I think it's a lot more coffee maker and family vacation discussion. But 
we try to balance it a little bit because um, we see each other in the office all the time. And sometimes we get on each other's nerves and sometimes that comes out in the first few minutes of the pod. And then we dive deep into uh, the football stuff. Now, the other day, you guys did something that really just shocked me. Now, you sat in Chris Collinsworth's chair in his office. What did you do here? The uh, the big honcho over at PFF? Yeah, so he obviously, you know, he owns PFF, and he has the best office at PFF. And uh, we have a small studio that is starting to uh, fill up. So we said, look, we need an alternative place to maybe – film our podcast and and chris is not always in the office he's traveling he happened to be at the hall of fame game last week so we said let's do a little trial run (laughs) so we stole his office we filmed it he listens every week and uh we haven't gotten fired yet so we might end up trying it again it was a a comfy office for uh for chris and a good setup for the pod wait did so he didn't say anything to you he's he was cool as far as you know Uh, yeah well i don't know if he's gotten around to listening to it yet i think once he listens to it he'll uh You'll have uh, some feedback, or uh, or, we're, or we're getting fired. We'll see what happens. Be careful, because Chris probably listens to this podcast. Uh, you know, he's a huge. I, mean, I ever told, real quick, Chris Collinsworth. I asked him a question once at a Super Bowl media day, and it was a dumb question. And that is not a guy who you ask a dumb question to. He gave me a look. Have you ever gotten that look? Like that was such a dumb question. <laughs> yeah, I get the look plenty of times. Okay, good. absolutely. All right, it's so not, it's not uncommon. Awesome. So. Here at the Dan Patrick Show, I'm considered the analytics guy, which is funny because I'm not an analytics expert in the same way that you guys are at Pro Football Focus. But I do generally believe that analytics have have had a huge impact on every sport, including the NFL. So when the guys give me a hard time about saying, oh, the, the analytics say this or teams rely on analytics in this way, what's a simple answer to those sort of traditionalists who don't buy the analytics revolution? Yeah, I think it's just because analytics a lot of times is this broad bucket. It's this broad term. And when people hear analytics, they think either, okay, that means go for it more in fourth down or, you know, this play calling decision or this team building decision. But it's, it's really all of that. So I think the simple answer is I mean, football is a game specifically that's built on having a ton of information. You know, the hours and hours and hours that scouts put in to figure out what a player is that coaches put in to figure out a game plan and how to attack defenses. All that is, is taking a whole bunch of information so that you can make the best decision. And analytics is that exact, you know, adding information to make a better decision. So I think it's a crucial part. The tricky part is taking mounds of information and figuring out what's most important, you know? And I think that's where people say, well, analytics can't measure hard or they can't measure this or that, but you know, over time, I think heart shows up because the heart <laughs> play better, you know? So I, I think analytics is um, something that really does touch an NFL organization or it should at every level from player personnel to in-game decisions, to roster building decisions and theory and all that stuff. So I think it's a crucial part and I, I view it like blackjack, you know, blackjack has certain odds Yeah. when you're showing this card and the dealer showing that card, you know, do I hit, do I st- what do I do? Um, and you know, sometimes they go wrong. Sometimes you bust, you know, sometimes dealer bust, whatever happens. But over time, if you make the right decision, you're giving yourself a better chance to, to win more money. We had a discussion, uh, during the draft about Nathan Peterman, the much maligned former bills quarterback, <laughs> your guy, my guy. It's funny. He's come up on every podcast episode. 
Now, interceptions a lot of times are not purely the quarterback's fault. I know you guys know that. But that brings me to a bigger question. How do you differentiate, because football is such a team sport, how one guy measures when he's really being affected by so many other guys? For example, you know, a quarterback, if he has a great offensive line, has an advantage over another quarterback. But that doesn't necessarily show up in the numbers that are related to him. So and how, do you, how do you distinguish all that? In baseball, it's easy. There's a pitcher and there's a batter. In NBA, there's five guys on the court. In NFL, you're so interdependent. I feel like analytics sometimes can be a little less effective depending on how you use it. Yeah, so it's a great question, and that's usually the example that comes up. You know, baseball is very easy, pitcher versus hitter, and, you know, isolate the defense a little bit. But I, I think in football, yes, there are many moving parts, but I feel like quantifying them might be even more important because there are so many moving parts. So I would say... I would say it like this, perhaps a QB's performance is dependent on more things or maybe isn't as stable than, say, a hitter's performance in baseball. But if you can get a little bit better at isolating the quarterback and then a little bit better at isolating the O-line and a little bit better at isolating the receiver, then you can start to piece together what makes a passing game tick. So while in isolation maybe a position might be as easy to identify as say like a power forward in basketball or a, you know, a hitter in baseball. Uh, I, I think getting a little bit better at evaluating each piece in football can help the whole, if that all makes sense. But Absolutely. Um, we do, we do our best to say, look, here's a throw by the quarterback. It's a great throw. It got dropped, you know, give the quarterback credit, downgrade the receiver, you know, and over time, if the data is big enough, you can sift through what the most important pieces are and say, look, here's what this guy did when he was in a clean pocket. Here's what he did when he was under pressure. What if you give him an O-line that's going to put him under pressure a lot? And then you can predict his performance better. So you isolate the parameters and then, you know, kind of try to predict what guys would do in specific situations uh, that, you know, you project based off the supporting cast and supporting talent. Awesome. So let's get down to some specifics. Give me a quarterback who looks better through analytic eyes than, say, the mainstream media's eyes. Yeah, so Jameis Winston is the guy I always kind of go to bat for. Um, Not because he's been great yet, but he's got this grading profile that suggests a breakout season at some point. Some point in the next 10 years, Jameis Winston's going (laughs) to break out. That's my prediction. Um, But from a PFF standpoint, we grade every single player on every play, and he is at the top end of our positively graded throws year in, year out, but at the top end of our negatively graded throws. So he's highly volatile on a play-by-play basis, which is the exact same profile we saw from Cam Newton and have seen from Carson Palmer through the years. Mm. And both of those guys had that 2015. It happened to be in the same year, that random year where they became an MVP candidate and kind of put it all together. And those positively graded throws, you know, were, were great. They carried their team. Uh, and they cut down on the negatively graded throws for that one season. I feel like Jameis kind of has that in him. So he's got this profile that in one year, you're going to be surprised. He'll be a top five quarterback, and the Bucks will win 11 or 12 games. Could oh, be this man. Year with Bruce Arians. Yeah, I like it. Let me ask about a couple other quarterbacks. Carson Wentz, analytic-wise? Yeah, so he's a guy, I think we've got him as like a fringe top 10 guy. I thought his MVP season was a little bit inflated. You know, So again, we're trying to find out the stuff that's stable, right? Right. So, what can you bank on year to year in that MVP season? He was incredible on third down, which is great. You know, give him credit. That's a tough thing to do, but it's really tough to sustain. And he had the highest accuracy percentage on tight window throws. So when there was 
nowhere to put the ball, he was putting it in there. One of those things, again, that fluctuates year to year. So last year in tight window throws, he dropped down to 16th, which is kind of expected. You're not supposed to be able to do that every year. So I think his high-end play is sensational, it, you know, and it can lead to that MVP caliber season, especially with that supporting cast in Philly. Um, but I think he's you know, in that 10 to 15 range as far as the best quarterbacks in the NFL at this point right now. Wow, that's so interesting. Did you see that NFL top 100 list? And he was down in the 90s or in the 80s. And I'm from Philadelphia. I don't like that list. Yeah, I, I don't I, like it. I knew you didn't. Yeah. But I'm from Philly, well, so that people were mad. It's it's funny because it's based off of last year, and he did get hurt, and and it's just what's that late what's that last perception that you have of yeah. the player? Um, and Philly fans are funny because we keep saying that they've got this great offensive line. They hate when we tell them that they're good. So <laughs> they they're mad at us for saying they've got a great offensive line and a great group of playmakers. So you're never going to be happy in Philly, right? You know how that is. Oh, absolutely. Okay, uh, the second year quarterbacks: Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson. Who's breaking out? Well, actually, I guess Baker Mayfield already broke out. Josh Allen, too. How do you, off the, you know, without diving into their numbers, who's looking good in that group and who should we not expect to break out quite yet? Yeah, so I think Baker is the guy that we had as the best quarterback in that class by a wide margin. I think he showed that last year. I think he'll continue it. Three years of spectacular play at Oklahoma, some of the best college grading we've ever seen. So I think Baker already is going to be in that top 10 QB conversation. Our number two quarterback that year was Sam Darnold. I do expect a step forward from him, uh, mostly because what we saw at USC was he's really good, short, intermediate range. And he was not great last year as a rookie, but uh, he has it in him. I expect him to take a big step forward. And then as far as Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, I think both guys have accuracy issues that I don't expect to get better, but they have special traits that, you know, again, in any given year, you could, put some points on the board and, and do some nice things. So Allen's got the big arm. He can throw the ball down the field and Lamar's rushing ability. Um, so they need a lot of things to go right, I think. But the accuracy issues, I think, will ultimately hold them back from being at Baker or Darnold's level you know, over the course of their careers. Have you seen any of this Josh Allen hype? I, I see a lot of people sort of lurking around there trying to get be the first guy on that Josh Allen bandwagon that he's going to be star. My problem is, too, you talked about the weapons with Carson Wentz, and I know – the Bills signed a couple guys, um, kind of inside guys, ironically. I just don't quite see how this offense comes together, at, you know, with this coaching staff for Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, he is the poorest man's Carson Wentz. And the, the, the thing that I was really impressed with Wentz was that he could play quick game. He could, he could do the short stuff. He could make good decisions, you know, down in, down out. Josh Allen hasn't really showed that at Wyoming. So if you just, and I understand why scouts drooled over him from a physical standpoint, if you just showed his highlight reel, it's like, how did he make that throw? How did he make that throw? But we know that quarterback is about being really good 600 times, not 10 times, right? Mm. It's snap over, snap after snap. And Josh Allen just has not shown the decision-making, the short area accuracy to be consistent down in, down out. Now you can mitigate that a little bit by some weapons. John Brown's a decent deep threat. Cole Beasley can get open in the underneath game. I think it'll help but I don't expect Josh Allen to become a top 10 quarterback anytime soon. I expect him to be a guy that could stumble into a really good season with a lot of touchdowns, add some value with as a runner and and drive the ball down the field in kind of a volatile fashion. Okay. I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Should NFL teams pay big money to running backs? Absolutely not. (laughs) We're we're all in on this as something you just, you can't do. And um, you know, 
if you're just looking at rushing production and you say, okay, what's the order of operations? What are the most important things leading to rushing production? And it starts with how good is your passing game, actually? You know, and then it's box counts, which kind of, you know, mixes with that. If you're playing Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, you're more likely to invite them to run. So their running backs are very productive. Um, And then it comes down to run blocking from the offensive line and the tight ends. Um, and then fourth or fifth on the list, it's the actual skill of the running back. I think the easiest way to sum it up is there's a difference in skill level between running backs, but it's not. But the difference in skill level could be massive, but the difference in production is minimal. Um, running back production essentially is predicated on a whole bunch of other stuff that's outside of their control. And then, of course, in today's NFL, the pass game is so valuable. You have to be a weapon in the pass game, especially – when you split out wide and you're creating mismatches against linebackers and safeties. Okay, but Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley were both great in the past game. And they're, you know, everybody loves them. They're two of the biggest stars among running backs right now. But they didn't win any games with their running backs catching a lot of balls and being good blockers. Right. What's missing? I, I, don't, I watched the Panthers offense last year when McCaffrey was featured, and it didn't scare me at all. I know Cam Newton's arm was hurt towards the end of the year, and that affected a lot of things. But are those guys, those are the best, two of the best three running backs, probably with Ezekiel Elliott. But why didn't it translate to big offense or big wins? Yeah, I think what you even just said intuitively answered your own question, right? So if you give a running back, even the best receiving running back, if you give him 100 targets and most of them are check downs and screens, those targets are nearly as valuable as targets to wide receivers or tight ends. Um, so, yes, every now and again you get Christian McCaffrey isolated on a linebacker. He runs a little option route. He picks up 20 or 25. That's great. But then if you forget about the three-yard check down here and a four-yard screen there, those aren't really great plays for the offense. So if you have 100 targets to distribute, you'd rather give 50 to a wide receiver or a tight end and then give 50 to the running back instead of 50 just to the running back. So, again, it's, uh, even, it's just difficult for the running back to justify their value and then it almost makes teams say, you know what? We spent a first-rounder on McCaffrey. We spent a first-rounder on Saquon Barkley or Zeke. We have to get them touches. And again, over time, running back touches are just not nearly as valuable as the quarterback trying to throw to a receiver or a tight end further down the field. So do you think the teams regret those three picks? I don't think they regret them. I, don't, I think they all think that they're good football players. I think um, it's really, really tough to – to disconnect how good a player is with how much he's helping you win. And we're trying our best to do you know, mm. help with that at PFF by coming with uh, wins above replacement, you know, the, you know, popular baseball stat and other sports where we can actually isolate how much a guy's contributing to winning. So yeah, even the best running backs, there's just not a big difference in what they add to winning, but it's very easy to see Saquon Barkley is a special player. Christian McCaffrey is a special player. But it's really tough to put that into numbers that lead to wins. And I think that's... Might be able to win the title. Seven out of 125. A team that is going to get better this year and a team that's going to regress. Well, I always say the Bucks are going to get better every year. <laughs> I'll be right one of these years. I mentioned Jameis earlier. I, I just think Arian's there. Todd Bowles there on defense. They just have some nice pieces to get better, even though it's tough in the NFC. Um, I think the Bears are our team to just regress here. I, I think a, a lot of Bears fans are, are doing the 
making the mistake a lot of fans make is like, hey, we were great last year. We're just going to get better. But uh, <laughs> it's really tough to sustain two straight years of elite defense. They were great last year, but defense is very much driven by who you're going to play. The schedule's a lot more difficult. And Mitch Trubisky, his statistics were way better than what he played last year. He needs to take a huge step forward in year three, I think, to, uh, to show that he's the franchise guy there, even though statistically he was good. So I think the Bears regress in part because of schedule and in part just because they overachieved so much last year. So what's, uh, what's new this year at Pro Football Focus? Yeah, it's just our PFF Elite package. That's uh, the best package we have there. We added, uh, we have uh, NFL Green Line, which is our picks product. If you're into uh, wagering a little bit, and we're adding a whole college Green Line product. So we'll have all of our college picks in there. And of course, all the great fantasy tools and taking this massive database that every NFL team uses and, you know, trying to push it toward fantasy and help you win your league. So that's all uh, coming hot off the shelf throughout the month of August over at PFF.com. So what's the deal with, like, your buddies who have nothing to do with work? Do they hit you up for fantasy advice all the time? Do you get to be in their leagues even though you have a clear advantage here? Uh, yeah, we we had a nice uh, hometown league that just finished a couple of years ago. I did, uh, I did mop up a little bit in that one. Yeah, I get a little fantasy advice questions every now and again even though i'm not technically a fantasy guy but you know oh yeah comes with the territory. but you don't have to pay for the pff package which is by the way a great deal there's a guy in our league who has it um let me ask you one more question so you are taller than me you're one of the rare people in media taller <laughs> than me is there anyone yeah. in the nfl media right now that's taller than you actually a non-former player i know did you play baseball you you were i read on your bio you're a minor league baseball player yeah, eight years in the minors. I bounced around with the Giants, Brewers, and Mariners. Okay. Um, yeah, pitched to Buster Posey and AAA, all that stuff. So I, I did that first. Um, so there's uh, – Sam always loves this. There's somebody in the media that's at least 6'9 or 6'10. He's, he's, he's my height. I want to say he's from Chicago. I never officially met him, but I just kind of see him in random media circles, and Sam thinks it's the funniest <laughs> thing because anytime he finds somebody my height, he thinks it's great. So – um, that's the guy. It's somebody, somebody out there that's at least my height in the media somewhere. Wow. Yeah, because I don't. It's really weird when I I done a couple of shows with you to look up to you is unsettling because most most sports writers are pretty like they're about five eleven. They're more built like Sam. I mean, let's face yeah, yeah. it. So diminutive guys like little Sam. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, actually, Sam is only little next to you, but it must be fun to tower over him when you guys are doing the podcast, right? Yeah, it's great. If he gets out of line, he knows. Awesome. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time. Yeah, uh, when Nathan Peterman blows up for the Raiders <laughs> and his man, uh, John Gruden, do I, what is PFF going to – you guys are going to have me on. Can I write a guest column celebrating Absolutely. Nathan Peterman's success? Okay. All right, I mean, buddy. he's due. He's due to not throw an interception every three passes. It's, it's got to get better at this point. Can I sit in Collinsworth's chair for a prolonged period of time? Yeah, I mean, he's, if you can make it to Cincinnati, he's out of the office three or four days a week. So it's it's wide open, whatever you want to do. I'm in. All right. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I think we learned a lot from Steve. Uh, at least I did, and I will be quoting him and not attributing to him down the road, as I tend to do. Next, let's talk to a guy who's really, really good at advanced stats, next-gen stats, and can really help you with your fantasy draft, which is huge in my mind. All right, it's my pleasure to have James Coe on right now, a fantasy analyst for DirecTV, the Fantasy Zone, which we love. 
and a writer for Yahoo as well. James, how you doing? I'm doing great. So I'm always fighting the good fight for analytics here at the Dan Patrick Show. <laughs> what do you say when, you know, some of the old school football people you worked with say, you can't really use analytics for football. It's overrated. How do you answer that? Well, I think that's, that's just silly. I mean, the bottom line is it, it makes you smarter about football. Um, I think the major problem is that smart people are doing this. And smart people love making people feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing that. I totally know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I think my approach has been more um, trying to make it conversational and, and digestible. So, I don't know. That's kind of how I view it. Has any former player, you know, you were at the NFL Network, ever really made, like, really get bothered by analytics or any coach give you a hard time? Yeah. I think most players hate analytics. Really? Uh, and I think, again, it's because the type of message um, that analytics folks kind of have, right, in that, in that it, it, they, they can examine the game almost, you know, better than players, which I think is weird. Do you think that carries through in front offices? Do you think an analytics guy makes a better front office guy than a former player? I would think so because they kind of look at everything objectively. Look, look, you need, still need a scouting department um, because you got to find good players that maybe don't pop statistically, uh, but pop on tape. Which um, so that's kind of yeah. Good, go ahead. Which teams do you think use analytics in the best way that you know off the top of your head? Boy, you know, I'll tell you what, I like what Cincinnati is starting to do. Obviously, injuries is ravaging what they're, what they're trying to do. Uh, but the bottom line is they're going more offensive forward, which I think is smart. Um, you know, the analytics tell us that uh, you, this is a passing league, and, and you want to be able to pass the ball. So finding coaches that will help that make that, make that happen is, I think, a, a step in the right direction. Wait. You said the Cincinnati Bengals are forward-thinking. Are you sure? <laughs> that Something doesn't make sense there. I know. Can I just say this? I think they're going to be an absolute disaster in 2019. Oh, wait, before, um, before you go on on that, you are talking to a Bengals fan. I'm so sorry. Well, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. It's going to be horrible next year. I'm from Philadelphia, uh, but for some reason, I became an Andy Dalton fan early in his career. I wrote a profile of him when he was coming into the league. And I've always found that the Bengals are the most misunderstood team in the NFL. Like, they were pretty good when Dalton first got there, and nobody thought that was yeah. going to happen. Now, I understand exactly what you're saying this year, but I think I am actually trying to be a little optimistic. The A.J. Green injury is killing me because they're terrible when A.J. Green's down on the field. But I think Zach Taylor is going to really make Andy Dalton look good. Andy Dalton had a year where he was an MVP candidate until he got hurt. He can play in the right circumstance very well. I'm actually a little bit worried about his injury history. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a little weird, right? Because starting quarterbacks don't really get that injured. So he keeps getting dinged up. So I'm a little bit worried about that. So we'll see. His uh, thumb, I know. He, keeps, he has some thumb problems. Uh, you know, there are weapons there, though. Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd can play. Maybe John Ross, Tyler Eifert for the three games he's actually on the field. 
Uh, exactly. We're going to talk about fantasy sleepers in a second, by the way. Are any of those guys, are you high on any of them? Other than we're going to take A.J. Green out of this conversation because if you draft him, you're going to have nothing but headaches. Is there any Cincinnati no, guy? No, there's zero Cincinnati players that I'm interested in, even even Mixon. And, and Mixon will go high. Um, right now, Mixon has an average draft position of, uh, in the second round. And I am telling everyone that's he's not worth it there. I think the offensive line is broken. AJ Green is going to be in and out of that lineup. Um, Tyler Eifert, as you mentioned, is not a reliable weapon. So uh, I just don't think that offense is going to be very good. And by the way, the defense is just, they're terrible. They were the worst in the NFL last year. They were on pace to be the worst in history. They can't tackle anyone. They can't cover anyone. They never get to the quarterback. But nobody even, I don't think people paid attention to how bad. there was. A, I watched Baker Mayfield carve them up. I don't think he had an incompletion for the first 14 minutes of the game against them last year. So I would actually play, if I was doing DFS, the guy's playing today. But before we dive into fantasy, a couple questions. Who are some players that the analytics crowd tends to respect a little bit more than the traditional crowd? I would probably say Aaron Jones. Um, I don't think he gets nearly enough credit, but he is an amazing player analytics-wise. Just his ability to kind of separate himself and create yards on his own. um, Just everything about him has been incredible. Wait, how how do you know that's not because of Aaron Rodgers, though? I mean, because everyone's focused on slowing down the passing game. It could be. And look, this is kind of a, I want to say a blind spot in analytics, right? Uh, It's an 11-on-11 game. (laughs) Trying to melt that all down into one or two numbers is really difficult. So that's kind of where I kind of view it. But uh, the numbers I've seen, Aaron Jones is amazing. How about a quarterback? A quarterback? Uh, I think Matt Ryan is a lot better than people think. So um, that's kind of where I'm leaning. He's been incredible with the deep ball. um, And I know people are going to say, oh, it's Julio Jones. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who he's throwing to. He's actually been really, really efficient uh, throwing the deep ball. So I think Matt Ryan is a little bit better than what people give him credit for. Is is there a stat, you know, I'm going to point to one that I think is indicative of success that can affect what's going to happen next year. A lot of people are talking about how the Bears had huge turnover numbers last year. They were just Eddie Jackson and everyone was taking the ball away. That tends to sort of revert back to the norm. Is there a stat, uh, maybe a player, but more a team that you, you've been looking at where you say, wow, maybe this team either is going to be better than we thought or worse than we thought? I think Oakland is going to be better than, than we think. Oakland you know, Raiders? Wait, first you I said know, the Cincinnati went... Bengals, now the Oakland Raiders? <laughs> I'm a sucker for underdogs, man. Me too. I love it. I love it. I'm so excited right now. Uh, so, uh, look, the Raiders won four games last year, and I think they are poised to be – an eight and eight team. Um, the NFL is weird. Things can get crazy. Uh, I, I think they could win nine games. The Oakland Raiders can win nine games. Is this because of the newcomers? I know that sounds insane. Is that yeah? It? It's the newcomers to me. I, I, you know, they've added some pieces on the offensive line. Um, you know, Rich Incognito coming out of return is, I think, big for them. And their defensive line has been revamped. Uh, their linebackers are 
Okay, I don't. I know Brandon Marshall is the best, but he—he, he, I think he's a quality veteran. Wow, so they, they've added pieces all over the all over the field, and and I'm really excited about their offense. What about the coach? I think that's TBD. Yeah, but look, can I just say this? He's not the worst coach in the NFL. Let's be real. High praise. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's true. And he was probably one of the better ones in 2001. But like you said about Cincinnati, the passing game, is John Gruden ready to play a a 2019 Sean McVay passing era game in the NFL? I don't know. I mean, look at the wide receiver court. Antonio Brown, Tyrell Williams. They've got Derek Carr, obviously. Um, I, I love Jacobs as a running back. And I just think they're ready to play up-tempo football. Oh, man. Okay, now all right, now I'm excited about the Raiders. You wouldn't go all the way with the Bengals, which was disappointing. But, okay, let's get into some fantasy. You had a column on Yahoo Fantasy Sleepers, and you, you were using yeah. next-gen stats, which I know I watch you a lot on Fantasy Zone, that you love next-gen stats. Give us a couple guys who you might not think of where the numbers indicate they're going to be good this year. I think John Brown is probably that number one guy because everyone looks at Buffalo and says, they don't throw the ball. Josh Allen doesn't know how to throw the ball, at least accurately. Um, I call them Uncle Rico in my column because <laughs> it's like, you want to see me throw this football over the, uh, over the mountains? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Josh Allen. <laughs> well, well, Uncle Rico is awesome, so I think that's a good sign, actually. There so you you're go. saying John Brown will fit that well, but how many, how many realistic plays will that work per game? Do you think that they can so, hit one or two? Every week? Yeah. Yeah. So I think my major thing with um, next-gen stats has been air yards. And what that means is how far you throw the ball, literally. Uh, so if you're standing at the 50-yard line and you throw it to the goal line, that's 50 yards. That's 50 air yards, I should say. Um, and to me, that's a volume stat. So everyone's right now focused on targets. Um, and I think targets is only half of the equation. Um, so basically, if I throw 10 deep bombs from the 50 to the end zone, I, those are a lot of opportunities to make really big plays. So Arias, to me, is predictive of big plays. Targets is more indicative of just kind of that consistent reception. You, um, so John Brown is a, is a Arias darling to me. Are you making a big distinction between uh, PPR leagues and non-PPR leagues there? Not really, because PPR leagues and standard leagues work similarly. The values, I don't think, are too, too different, actually. There's a couple players that certainly uh, are way outliers, but for the most part, I think for the most part, everything's pretty normal. Well, I think of a Saquon Barkley and a Christian McCaffrey who, and, you know, the the classic running back who's going to get a lot of checkdowns. To me, you know, that's they seem like the players it'd be a bigger difference for. Christian McCaffrey last year was just not fair. A <laughs> <laughs> hundred receptions and two thousand total yards. It just, it just wasn't fair. Who you? Um, uh, that being said, yeah, I, I think he sees a little bit of regression this year. Ooh, I'm really worried about Cam's shoulder, man. Me too. But if oh, so you look I, at those weapons though. If he if Cam was playing at his best. There's just a lot to be excited about there. Yeah, and I'm actually surprised North Turner's worked out, right? Yeah. When they first hired him, I thought he was going to be terrible. I know. Uh, yeah. 
he's actually been the right hire for them. But it was painful to watch Cam try and throw the ball downfield last year. At the end of last year. Yeah, that was bad. So another player you like uh, is Dante Moncrief in Pittsburgh. You know, I'm a Juju guy. And sometimes, I think Dan said the other day, let's see what Juju does now that he doesn't have Antonio Brown. Do you think Juju can, do you think he'll take a step back? Can he pick up some of Brown's production? Or is, are guys like Moncrief going to step in and keep Juju at the same level? I think Juju can step up and, and play just as well as he did last year. And, and look, he had an amazing year last year. What, 1,400 yards and uh, seven or eight touchdowns? So I, I don't know, necessarily know if he's going to a lock for more than that. <laughs> but I think 1,300 yards and, you know, six to eight touchdowns is absolutely a, a, a fair projection for him. But in terms of Dante Moncrief, I just love what he brings to this offense. He's a big body wide receiver that can go deep downfield. And that's really what I wrote about in my piece is the fact that he profiles as a ideal X receiver. Juju is going to be that guy that works inside and outside. It kind of really took on that or takes on that Antonio Brown role, that, that mm. movable chess piece. But uh, to me, I think Dante Moncrief is going to be that big play Outside wide receiver. Okay, another another guy in your column, Royce Freeman, Denver Broncos, rookie out of Oregon. Now, okay, I don't. This is a guy where I'm going to go against the analytics. I watched a lot of Broncos last year, and I just felt like he had some big holes, and he took his time to get through them. I, I see him, and he, you can't argue that he's a little slow, unless you have different numbers. He's a little slow to me. I don't disagree with that. That being the play calling was curious to say the least. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, definitely. Freeman, they just never threw him the ball. Yep. Which didn't make any sense given his history coming out of Oregon. Um, and I'll also say this. Um, the analysts tell us that the, the play calling was pretty terrible when it came to Royce. Yep. He ran up the middle a lot. And I'll tell you this. Next-gen stats tell us running outside – is extremely more explosive than running inside. I think it was if if I had to if the numbers remember uh, that I remember if you run outside you're running you're averaging about 4.5 yards per carry. If you run inside that number dips down to about 3.9 yards per carry. It's a big difference. So why do coaches he, keep running into that pile? Everyone I always I always wonder about that too. It makes no sense to me. There's nothing... um, but I think coaches have this mentality of we got to bang it inside to be effective outside, right. which I, I disagree with. There's nothing more frustrating as a fan when you, but you hand it off and the guy runs for one yard in the pile. But I saw a few plays in the preseason week one where they did go outside and it was like a five-yard loss. So I, maybe there's, is it possibly a potential of a negative run to outside? Yeah, there's that potential. But at the end of the day, I mean, let's think about what Gary Kubiak did all those years, Shanahan did all those years, outside zone, all day long. (laughs) And yeah, there could be a couple negative plays here and there, but if you consistently attack on the outside, you're going to have games. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm down with that. Uh, What do you think of the possibility of a sort of a true air raid coming to the NFL 
with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. Do you expect them to be something we haven't seen before? Or is it just sort of the next evolution of, I don't know, say Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City last year, just a high-volume passing offense? I don't necessarily know if the air raid is going to work. Uh, it's just too simplistic. And to me, when you got these athletes, um, smart athletes out there on the defensive side, it's going to make life really, really difficult. Um, and I know air raid does utilize a lot of checkdowns too, but I just don't necessarily think that it's going to be a widespread offense in the NFL. That's just me. But that being said, in Arizona, I like what I saw in the preseason game. Me too. Um, <laughs> I, I was really impressed by Kyler Murray. Yeah, me too. But it was preseason. You know, yeah. I, I've i seen Chip Kelly. Remember, there was a few games early on where we thought the Eagles had transformed the NFL, and then it came back to earth. That's true. And, and it, does take a, it does take teams basically a year to kind of adjust, uh, which is why I'm really interested to see what happens with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. But, um, but again, Kyler Murray, look, the Arizona offensive line is so bad. Uh, he's going to be running for his life, and he's the, a great quarterback for that, as we saw in the preseason game. Right. Um, but how much can you do that consistently? That, that would be my, my question. That's a, a huge question. What about these second-year guys? Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen, Josh Allen. Who do you expect to have the strongest year out of that group? Oh, Baker Mayfield, no question. I love the fact that Freddie Kitchens is an offensive-minded head coach. But the thing I'm really excited about is Todd Munkin as, as the O.C., this is a guy that took Jameis Winston and Fitz Magic, and they threw for five thousand yards. <laughs> yeah, well, they also threw for a thousand yards <laughs> to the other team, though. <laughs> That's also true. But they've got a talented player in Baker Mayfield. You've got a um, a great offensive mind in Todd Monken, and I just think they're going to air it out. I agree. I love what they're going to do. I agree, but I am a little excited about Sam Darnold too. Throwing to Jameson Crowder, little check down to Le'Veon Bell. It feels like we haven't had this setup for success for a Jets quarterback in a long time. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm really excited about Sam Darnold. Um, from a statistical standpoint, I mean, he'll just be average. But the team, I think, will play a lot better. Why do you say that? In, in terms of the staff? Yeah, why do you think Sam Darnold, he had a couple big games last year. You know, he came on at the end a little bit. I think he was a respectable the last three three or four weeks, he would have been a respectable fantasy player with no weapons at all. Yeah, I mean, you've got to understand, quarterbacking in the NFL right now is very deep. True. Everyone keeps complaining that we don't have enough starting quarterbacks, and I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a lot of great starting quarterbacks. Um, and I think Sam Darnold will be, you know, around league average. But league average is pretty good. So that, that's kind of where I, I'm with... I, I, look, Robbie Anderson is great outside wide receiver, um, but other than that, I just wonder what kind of wide receivers depth they have. Okay, I'll leave you one last guy, and, and this is sort of a general question about running quarterbacks, but start with Lamar Jackson, and really from a fantasy standpoint, where do you stand on the running quarterback? From a fa- fantasy standpoint, in standard leagues, it's, a little bit unfair when you get a running quarterback. Um, and, and, you know, you got to understand, Lamar Jackson was on pace 
last year to being a record-breaking um, rushing quarterback. The NFL has only had one 1,000-yard uh, rushing quarterback, and Lamar Jackson was on pace to have like 1,200 rushing yards. In. Yeah. So I, I, I think we're going to see a little bit of regression there. I mean, you'd think for his health that there better be a regression, don't you think? Yeah, you would like to see that. Uh, I, I mean, the way he was throwing the ball was not uh, ideal <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. in the preseason and, and last year. But I, I, I just think, you know, I think they'll get him in the right direction. I actually do believe in him, um, and I think he'll be fine. Well, he, I'll tell you one thing. There's two games where he better deliver 30 points if he wants to win, and those are against the Cincinnati Bengals because <laughs> – you know, moving, baby. <laughs> there's a weird thing. Andy Dalton has always had success against Baltimore, where Big Ben has always struggled against Baltimore. And on the opposite side, Big Ben, no one has ever owned the Cincinnati Stadium in the fourth quarter like Big Ben. It is like his home stadium times 100. So watch out. I, I, I was making a joke, but like Dalton owns the Ravens. Uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I, thought, I think Ben Roethlisberger, if you just took his Cincinnati games, it's still a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I don't know how many games that is. It's like a fifty. It's like thirty games. A Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, 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 you're right. It's, it's incredible how well he's played against the Cincinnati Bengals. I put out a tweet uh, earlier this off season about. I think the Bengals. I don't have the numbers in front of me. They were four and two or four and five and two last year. They were up by a point on the Steelers with a minute eight left, and they kicked off to Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know if you remember this was like week six or something. They had no chance to stop him, and it ended up, uh, it was a little shovel pass that Antonio Brown ran in. It was actually a rub play. It was totally illegal, uh, and the Steelers, of course, won the game. I think the Bengals <laughs> basically lost like their next seven games. They could have won the division last year, James. you got to get on board. you got to support me. I'm alone on this Bengals island. Yeah, I'm, 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 unfortunately, I'm going to leave you there. Oh, man. They're going to be so bad this year. Uh, are you excited for Fantasy Zone on Sundays? I, can you believe you're almost going to be in studio breaking down games? I know. It's incredible. It's the best job in the world. It really is. I mean, we come in on Sunday, we watch all the games, and we just talk fantasy. It's great. Um, what's so, the food, yeah, I'm, I'm what's, really, really excited. What's the food sitch there? Because, you know, we have some of the same caterers. Do you expect good things on Sundays? No. We, we don't have caterers like you guys do. In New what? York. No, we we they they bring in outside food, but it's it's okay. It's not great. You know, if you need to throw my name around and get some <laughs> catering in the in the joint, I know some people, James. I know some people. <laughs> I can work on this. Perfect, love it. All right, thanks for your time. Talk to you soon, bud. All right, man. See you. All right, there you have it. Analytics here in the NFL. There's no way to avoid it. My favorite part was talking about the running game and short passing. It's great, but this is an advanced passing league. You have to be able to throw the ball and throw the ball some more. Speaking of throwing the ball, next week, we're going to be through week three of the preseason. The quarterback battles will be finished. We're going to break it down and look at who won the jobs in places like Miami and Washington. And we'll break it all down right here against the Grain Podcast. Talk to you soon. Against the grain. Against the grain.